Now, let's turn our attention to the Gospel of Matthew. And chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 21 through 26. A portion of the sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached and written here uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ. This, you know, some Bibles have the red letters indicating the you know, words of Jesus. And, of course, some are against red lettered Bibles because they argue that all the words are inspired. All the words are God's words. I like to see Jesus' words in red, but uh, that's just my own preference. Uh, some people like it, some people do not. But uh, these are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, a portion of that sermon, which is, uh, I don't think anyone preaches like this. I, I, I try, I don't either, but this just one thing to the next to the next. He doesn't get into parsing words, he doesn't get into... You know, scholarly debates. He doesn't get into nuanced uh, historical facts and all that. So he just tells it like it is, straightforward. In the language of the people, Kone Greek. They understood him. Here now, God's precious word from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, beginning verse 21, reading through verse 26. Dear people of God, hear his word. Ye have heard that it was said of by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembers thy brother has aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say to thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. May God bless this portion of his holy word. Again, Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would bless this to our hearts and minds. Uh, I think we can all understand what it's saying uh, without too much elaboration. So we need to not only be satisfied with that, understanding what you're saying, but what is of greater importance is doing it. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. And may you find us Endeavoring to do so as perfectly as possible. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, it's, uh, it's good to be uh, back here. I have preached before on the Sermon on the Mount. I used the Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, commentary and sermons 
on that. Well, this was a long time ago, maybe when I was first first arrived, maybe shortly thereafter. And from time to time, I've come back to a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a portion that I've uh, returned to. Not because I think that I or you are violating this, and you ought to be uplifted, you ought to be rebuked and admonished from the pulpit because you guys are not behaving yourselves. That's not why. But because we, we're doing it. We, we've begun to do this. We've been doing it over the course of time, and it needs to be encouraged for us to do this better. As love one another, right? Now, I have mentioned to you from the pulpit uh, a number of times that I hold no animus against anyone in this church, whether a member or a friend. None whatsoever. There are people that I like better than others, admittedly. I get along with certain people more easily than others. But there's no disdain. There's uh, no animus, no hostility. My heart is clear. And I hope that's the way it is for you. I don't think that there's anyone here that holds something against me. You know, we have our differences and I have said some things in the past that I shouldn't have said. I made some mistakes and all that. You know, yeah. Sometimes the pastor should be doing this and he's not doing that. That kind of stuff, yes. But I don't believe that you hold any animus, any hostility, any palpable negativity towards me. Or else... I would go to you and say, what's the problem? Let's straighten this out. And I hope if you think that I hold any against you, you do the same. That's the direction we have here. That's the direction in which we're going. First, I want to talk about killing or murder. Jesus says in verse 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell. Gehenna. Fires of hell. Those are pretty powerful words. Now, obviously, there is more than one way to perpetrate murder or killing against a person. Yes, of course, you can 
try to hurt them physically and even kill them. People do that. They've been doing that since Cain and Abel. But there's also a way to break the commandment, thou shalt not kill, by having a bad attitude towards someone. Despising that someone with word. Internalizing disdain. That's also murder. When you internalize a disdain against someone, that's murder. That's killing. According to Jesus. And I think we've all been guilty of that, you know, in our lifetime, where we just, I just, I don't like that. I hate that person. Wish that that person were out of my, my hair, out of sight. And, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to physically kill them, but I just don't want them around. And that, of course, is it's dangerous. Jesus was dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees those who were sort of custodians of the law of Moses. And they exerted powerful influence over the people. Why? Because they claimed to have the ancients on their side. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, who are these ancients? Well, I'm sure many of you remember the Babylonian captivity that lasted 70 years for the people of God, almost four generations. By that time, by the time they were released from their captivity after 70 years, going back to Jerusalem, they had been profoundly influenced, you know, generation after generation after generation, spending time in Babylon. They were profoundly influenced by that culture, by the Babylonians. In fact, they, loved, they lost their Hebrew tongue. They weren't familiar with it. They were more familiar with the Aramaic that was spoken there. And so when they came back and started setting things up in Jerusalem, they had to depend upon the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes were the ones that taught the the law, the law of Moses, and interpreted it, and the Pharisees carried it out. And so the them of old are the, the ancients that came out of Babylonian captivity and started to interpret the, the law of Moses for the people. So, for example... We read here, thou shalt not kill. This is verse 21. The ancients taught, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Okay. That sounds like the Mo- Moses' law, Moses' imperative, thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not murder. But then there's commentary added to that. 
And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. That's a reference to the local authority. Thou shalt not kill, and if you do kill, you're going to be brought before the magistrate, the local authority. You're in danger of judgment. This is the way that the people were being taught the law of Moses with commentary from the ancients who kind of lost touch with the... It was an oral tradition at this point. The people didn't have the word of God. Much like the days of the Reformation when the people did not have the word of God and they relied upon the church and the priest to interpret the word for them. Well, this is the case here. That the scribes interpreted the word for them and the Pharisees applied it. And so Jesus is confronting this. He's saying, you've heard that it was said of those, the ancients that came out of Babylon and placed commentary on the word of God. And the, now the scribes and the Pharisees are teaching you these things. But I say to you, see, this is what it really means. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to reduce the law of God to a way, uh, to such a, a point where they were able to do it. They were able to practice this and show themselves righteous in the sight of God and the people. And so what they were focusing in on was the deed of murder. And so if you didn't literally go out and kill somebody or brought great harm to that person that brought you before the magistrate, you kept the law. You were not guilty of breaking the commandment not to kill. You know, Jesus comes along and says, no way. The law of God reaches down into the heart and draws out from the heart the issues of life. That's what God is concerned about, your heart. So if you hold anger against another brother or sister without a reason, without cause. You're guilty of breaking the commandment, thou shalt not kill. That's precisely what Jesus is saying here. It's not just the outward deed, it's the inward condition of the heart. That God sees long before any deed is accomplished or perpetrated. <clears throat> and so, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment being brought before the magistrate, they were concerned with outward performances. They were concerned with the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. They wanted to promote themselves as the most righteous people, the most holy people, the most moral people in the world. And, that's the, and that was the attitude that people had. These Pharisees are the most moral people in the world. And Jesus said, 
that uh, they're not going to enter into heaven. They're making themselves twice candidates, and they're making their followers twice candidates for hell. The, 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 the disciples were so confused. They were aghast. How could that be? These are the most moral people in the world. And you're saying they're going to hell. They're whited sepulchers. They're vipers. How could you say that? Because outwardly they were clean. But inwardly, they were very dirty, filthy. And so Jesus is, uh, our Lord here is putting, putting things straight here. And he's getting, he, he's, he's attempting, he's doing, he's putting the tradition of the ancients in check. They did not interpret the word of God or apply the word of God correctly, and the scribes and Pharisees of the day are not. You think that they had the authority, the scribes and the Pharisees, the people thought that they had the authority of the ancients on their side. Well, those ancients were misled. They were polluted by the Babylonian culture. They came out losing their language, losing their understanding. It was an oral tradition and interpretation, and it was wrong. It was misguided, misled, uh, misleading. <clears throat> and so Jesus becomes indignant here. He says, you have heard that it was said of them of old, but I say to you, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. The ancients said this. They had their little commentary interpretation, but I tell you what the law really means. Now, why did he say that? Because in another place, we just, uh, in another place, he points out that not one jot or one tittle, you know, the I, the dot on the I, the cross of the T in the Hebrew language, not one jot, not one tittle shall be taken away from the law until all of it be fulfilled. Well, who's going to do that? Who's going to fulfill this commandment and all the others that have to do not only with outward behavior, but with inward reality, inward heart type, head type, word type matters? Who's going to fulfill that? Not one jot, not one two, not one jot, not one T-cross. Well, as, a, as one commentator put it, you can smell the sulfur of hell on what Jesus was saying. The only one that could do that was Jesus Christ. To fulfill the entire law from the heart for his people. So that God could send forth the Spirit into the hearts of his people and the church of Jesus Christ would blossom forth in the earth. The Pharisees weren't able to do it. They were corrupting it. The people weren't able to do it. Only one is going to fulfill all the law, and that one is Jesus Christ. And he does it for his people. Not for everyone. 
I know that's a popular phrase today, that Jesus died for the whole world. Yeah, the world of the elect. He died for the world. He's going to make this whole place new again. He will. It's not going to completely disintegrate or disappear. It's going to be changed. Like the twinkling of an eye when he returns. Yep. But Jesus is the one that's done. Now, the other thing that we need to realize is not only did the Pharisees, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, corrupt the meaning and intention so that they could obey it. I didn't kill my neighbor. I didn't take anybody's life. I have fulfilled this commandment. No, you haven't. At all. But their idea, when they follow the letter, and this is something for you and me that tend to be legalistic at times, it's not about or simply about what not to do. The commandment, thou shalt not kill. It's not exclusively about not killing. The commandment implies the reverse. It, provi- it, it provides loving. You, instead of being angry at your brother or your sister without a cause... You ought to love your brother and sister with a cause. With a purpose. They were just taking it in one to ask what legalists do. Well, I didn't do it. Thou shalt not. I have it. It's not just about that. It's about what you shall do instead. Rather than kill, rather than be angry without a cause, rather than perpetrate some evil against somebody in your thoughts, with your thoughts, or your words, speak ill words against that person or about that person. You are to love that person. You are to demonstrate love for that person. That's what Jesus is getting. That's what the commandment was getting at. The reverse. Instead of killing, loving. And he does this in two ways. First negatively, and then in a positive way. So now we had the law of tradition, which was wrong, which was seeking to fulfill the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law, being legalistic and outward about things, rather than looking, checking yourself out where your heart is at, where your, where your head is at. But now, he's turning it to the point, he's turning it around to point to the, the real intention of the command, which was love. Now, uh, you know that when I I kept, I I have said this before because it's in the scripture, but I say to you that in verse 22, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause. You know, God is uh, not saying that anger in and of itself is always sinful and evil. It's not. 
You know, you might get angry at your child who misbehaves. You don't hate that child. You love that child. But you're angry with that child for misbehaving. There is a reason to be angry. God himself is angry with the wicked every day, says the psalmist. Jesus was angry with the Pharisees. And he chased the money sellers out of the temple with a whip. Remember? Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 26, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, don't hold it in. Don't eternalize it. Don't uh, let it settle deep within you and seethe. It's not going to work well. Times I'm, uh, I've been most unhappy in my life was when I uh, I had a strong dislike for for another person. It made me sad. It hurt. I guess I didn't want to, but I had it. And uh, it took away from my joy. And I don't want to be that way. Ever again. Where I look at somebody and I... I just get a, a, a negative impulse from within. And it just brings a sadness over the soul. So I've experienced that kind of thing in my lifetime. I'm sure you have too. And it uh, it takes away. You know, it takes away from our joy and our, our kindness. Even the demeanor on our face. When I think about it, just bring sadness. Well, here's a, a remedy for us here. As I said, all anger is not condemned. It's anger without a cause, without a purpose, without a, a godly reason. Without love. Anger without love behind it. Concern for the other person. Like I said, example, children. They get you angry. Come on now. They do. But you love them. You love them like you give your life for your kids. In fact, that was the big concern about COVID when it first began. Is this going to take the life of my child? Is this disease going to cause death and destruction to children? Are they going to be dropping like flies? My, oh my. And, and people were rightly afraid. Of that, we, sh- we shortly found out that that wasn't the case, but at first, it was terrorizing. You know, our children dying, even though sometimes we kids, yeah, you, you have to be spanked or you punish. Yeah, just that way. But this kind of anger, where you uh, 
You call your brother, Jesus uses two words here. These are words, right? These are words. Raka. What does that mean? That means stupid head. That means numbskull. That means airhead. That's the root root of the word. it's, it's, It's bringing into question someone's mental capacity. The guy is an airhead. He doesn't know left from right. You know, that kind of attitude towards someone. That kind of disdain for someone. I don't want to talk to him because he's a, he's a, he's a dummy. He's stupid. I don't want to talk to you about this COVID stuff because you're stupid. That kind of attitude. That's a breaking of the commandment. You know that? Check it out. Check out what your attitude was. And still is, perhaps. I don't know. The worst thing, though, is to say, you fool. Now, we read that psalm before. It's in two places, Psalm 14 and Psalm uh, 53, where it says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Calling somebody a fool is calling them an unbeliever, is casting a judgment, is assassination of that person's character. That's what Moses did in the wilderness to the people of God when they were complaining. And he said, Israel rebels, fools. And he assassinated their character, the whole community, when he slammed the rock in the wilderness, remember? And called them rebels, one and all. For that, he was not allowed to go into the land of promise. Because he essentially called the people of God, a whole, the whole people of God, fools. Uh, it's playing God. When you think you're justified in calling people names out of animus, out of hatred, out of despite, putting them down in your thoughts. With others. Now, the concern of Jesus focuses upon the brother or sister. He says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Okay. Well, there's two things that we can consider here immediately. There's the brother uh, that I have offended. And I'm to straighten that out between us by Matthew 18. You go, you see him, you admit your fault, you say you're sorry, and, and fine. But then there's this, this, this that Jesus is saying. He's not saying that we should do Matthew 18 here. He's saying that if you think that someone has something against you, 
that a brother or sister has, has, has been offended by you. Before you sacrifice, before you make your sacrifice before God, in our case, it's worship. It's baptism. It's the Lord's Supper. It's the Songs of Zion. It's prayer. When you sacrifice before God and worship before Him, before you do that, be reconciled. Get straight with your brother, your sister. Because if you don't, your worship is not right. Jesus says in uh, in this uh, in these verses that uh, that people are in danger, not just against God, not just going to the magistrate, going coming before the magistrate if you commit a deed, but if you commit this in your heart, like for example, you call someone a fool. You judge that person to be an unbeliever. Please don't do that, people. Don't judge people to be an unbeliever because uh, you disagree. Don't judge people that they don't belong in this position or that position, an elder or a deacon or a minister, because you don't you find some offense. Don't do that. That's hatred. That's setting yourself up as God. There's a danger. He says, in doing things like that, I mean, I have heard people that say about their own family members who are Christians. That they're not. My brother, my sister, my mother, my father, they're not saved. Why? Why do you say that? Did they deny the Lord? Did they deny the gospel? Did they condemn the Bible? Why would you say that? They're legalistic. Okay, maybe so, but that, you know, be careful when you make judgments like that. You're in danger of hellfire, Gehenna, the flames of hell, for doing something like that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I am the judge. I will work this out. Be patient. Wait on me. I know what's going on. I know him. Be patient. Rather, our attitude should be to reconcile with my brother with my sister, if I think that you, now, you see, this is not the other way around. I, uh, 
you have offended me. And so I need to straighten this out with you because you've offended me. No, no. This is the other way. I have offended you, or I think that you have something against me. I, I believe that you have something that I did or said or something that, that upset you. So I need to go to you. Not take the attitude, well, that's his problem. If he doesn't want to come to me and straighten this out, that's his problem. That's the attitude we have, right? That's the defense we have. That's his problem. Or her problem. No. The reason why is because the commandment is promoting love, that we ought to take a positive step in that direction. There's the negative cause. The negative is showing anger and hatred without a cause towards your brother by calling name-calling or having a bad attitude toward The positive thing is that I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to be reconciled because that is what it's all. It's the covenant of reconciliation. The covenant of love is the covenant of reconciliation. So that when people come to this church, and I've heard it before, they come to this church and they find a church that's pretty friendly, that's pretty outgoing, that's pretty straight. Because I believe, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive, I don't think so. I've lived a while, come to know people. I believe that, that most of, I, I think all of us, I hope, all of us anyway, are not holding indictments against one another. Yeah, we have our disagreements, and I think the COVID-19 thing was got a little ugly, and some people were holding things against others, and, you know, we're over that, right? Denmark in February is going to announce that the pandemic's over. First country. There'll be others. Pandemic's over. Let's not get all upset. Let's forget about that. But I, don't, I think that for the most part, we're all on the same page here, right? We're not holding things against one another. We're reconciled. So we can talk to one another honestly and openly. And if there is a disagreement between us, we'll get out. Be ye reconciled. Because if you consider, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear my prayers. Imagine. If I hold things against you, the Lord doesn't hear my prayers. He's not going to bless me. I could preach... And I could be right on with every single word I say. Remember, one of the things I like about the Sermon on the Mount is every single word's inspired. It's just perfect. Whereas, you know, my sermons are not. You know, anybody, no one's sermon is. But the Word of God is perfect. So this is wonderful to just get into this and read the Sermon on the Mount and understand it. It's very easy to understand this, isn't it? The commandment not to kill is to love one another, to show love, to be warm, to be reconciled, to, to, to be 
honest. You know, like I see you, I look into your eye, you look into my eye, and we're honest. We're not holding back some anger or disdain. Right? That's what Jesus is saying here. And he gives a warning at the very end. When he says in verse 24, leave your gift at the altar, be reconciled to your brother, and then come to worship. Then come to make your sacrifice. And then in verses 25 and 26, he says, agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. And I say to thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. What he's saying is, consider not only the local magistrate that you're going to come before if you violate this uh, commandment, thou shalt not kill, but you're going to come before the judge of all. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of God and you are not going to come out until you pay every last penny and that's hellfire forever. So he said, if you're not going to be reconciled to your brother and your sister and if you're going to hate in your heart and you're going to be angry and you're going to be disdainful and all that stuff, you are setting yourself up not only for the local magistrate or the session or whomever that brings you for discipline, you're setting yourself up before the bar of God's justice and you will have to pay back every last cent, which means you're going to spend the eternity in hell. That's what Jesus is saying here. For breaking this commandment to love one another from the heart. In conclusion, I want you to go home to think about one thing to help you, to help us all. Think about the cross. The cross of Christ. That was love. For you and for me. He died for you and for me. He took your sin, my sin, and brought it to the cross. He suffered. He doesn't dislike a single one of us. He holds no anger or animus or hostility towards any one of us. If Jesus loves me, shouldn't you? Are you better than he? Of course not. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for your word. It's, it's so wonderful. What a marvelous word this is. It just... It, it, it speaks... And we all need to work on this. We, we're all guilty here. We're not, we're not... None of us can say I'm without fault or sin in any of this. But thanks be to God and Jesus Christ who has given us the victory. Thou has placed in us the power of the Spirit. So now we are a people, instead of being an angry people that call, name call others and judge others uh, as fools and unbelievers, we are the kind of people that are the poor in spirit. 
those who mourn because of sin, those who are meek and who are the who hunger and thirst after righteousness and are merciful and pure of heart and peacemakers. That's the kind of people we are. We are. And we are becoming more and more through your amazing grace working within us to will and do of your good pleasure. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Give us more grace to become more like you. For this we ask in your name. Amen.